And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear that couple shouting, it's Dainer and Jay. It's Dainer and Jay. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast Crown, presented by Visa Network, working for everyone. Oh, you're Junior Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here working for you. Jay, how are we doing? Doing great. You know, it was a little, little weird working on draft strategy series pieces and looking out the window and seeing snowfall this week, but um, it, it does. It looks like that's out of the way, and it looks like we're one step closer to the draft. We're inside of 10 days now. We are. The, uh, the Bengals' local workout day uh, was this morning. It was recorded this on Tuesday. Uh, which was kind of a rite of passage for draft season where a bunch of guys from local schools, uh, local connections, some Ohio State guys come down and uh, do workouts, coaches watch. Uh, not a, you know, it's it's never really, uh, you know, it's 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 not a big deal that some people would think. Anybody that's like Alec Pierce is there from UC, some other, other guys that with draftable grades, they weren't working. Let's just, <laughs> they're just hanging out. It's Usually. kind of a visit, kind of a way for them to do a visit with some of those guys uh, more than anything. Uh, and some of the guys that don't have draftable grades are there trying to make impressions. But anyway, good, ch- got a chance to chat with all the, with coordinators, with Zach Taylor uh, and other people. So that was kind of what's going on. That it means we're that much closer. We're going to be talking to officially on the record with uh, Duke Tobin later this week. And we're thinking we'll probably get uh, our pre-draft say nothing with him and then our pre-draft <laughs> say nothing with Zach Taylor uh, next week. All that in lead up to the draft, uh, which is almost here. Can't get here soon enough. Very excited. Um, and we have uh, something else I'm very, very, very excited about. Uh, you know we love our live events. You know we love 50 West. And so we're back with our, our live event at 50 West. It's going to be on Tuesday after the draft, uh, which is Tuesday, May 3rd, and it'll be at 7 o'clock, and it will be myself, it will be Jay, and it will be Bengals Director of College Scouting, Mike Potts, our good friend of the program, Mike Potts, who we speak to after the draft every single year, and anybody that's been uh, listening to the podcast for a long time knows how great Mike is and how informative he is, and he is the tip of the spear with her college side of the of uh the scouting game and just a, a good dude all around and so it's gonna be exciting to have him down at 50 west we'll be breaking down all things Bengals draft uh so we we hope to see you down there um with a with a tap back into we i don't know how many growlers bet winners we had last season but i know there were some it, we paid off the growlers bet growler bets down there last year so the growler bet winners we'll have to maybe Send an invite for them to come out as well to collect their winnings. But very excited to have the event May 3rd, Tuesday after the draft, 7 o'clock. Bengals Director of College Scouting Mike Potts will join us. It's going to be a great time. 
We do have receipts, so don't show up claiming to be a growler bet winner. That's true. We just don't have them at the ready right now, but I do have my spreadsheet, and I, I'm curious. You know, we we call Saturday night when the draft is over the best beer of the year. I I, I imagine Mike Potts views it the same way. I can't imagine <laughs> all the work that those guys do. And when we think we do a lot to get ready for the draft, I can't imagine there's this, this is a year long process. I just I can't imagine what it's almost probably like Dane Brugler when he when he completes the beast, just that huge exhale, and then. Take a couple minutes and then get started on the next one. Yeah. I mean, and then priority free agents are going off and you're mm-hmm. trying to sign those guys. It's kind of a never ending. And so uh, we we have it on Tuesday because, you know, there's a chance they're still trying to wrap up some other odds and ends on Monday. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that Mike would definitely be in the clear. So maybe his best beer of the year will be with us, which is probably not the best beer of the year. But uh, <laughs> I like to think that that would be the case. Uh, you mentioned Dane Brugler. I'm glad you did. Dane is on our show. We, uh, we always anxiously await talking to Dane every year. Um, and so we have Dane author of the beast and all things draft here uh at the athletic great to have him on we're going to get to him quickly also because we're dubbing this this the call is coming from inside the house episode uh also with the athletic our new draft guy deontay lee is here very excited to have him he's joined our team just this month he does fantastic work previously uh with pff done stuff at cleveland.com all over the place and um He's a fantastic addition to the draft team, as you will find out. We'll have him later on. You mentioned our draft strategy series going off now on The Athletic. Just go there, click on any of them, follow us on Twitter. We have those links up there now. It is uh, a couple down. We'll be going through the rest of the week uh, as it comes up. But we're going to talk about that here today. A reminder, we have the $1 per month deal going on now. So if you go to any, you just want to read the draft strategy pieces or the beast or any of this stuff that we've been talking about, um, you can go and subscribe for just a dollar a month deal still ongoing right now. So we got the draft strategy series. We want to kind of d- dive into that a little bit more. Uh, maybe you read it. There's a lot in there. So uh, a lot of it is down and written, but if you uh, we want to go a little bit further into it, we're going to kind of share some of our thoughts on on what we found in the reporting of it and uh the analysis that we did to to kind of shed light uh really on the Bengals draft approach heading into uh next weekend. So we're going to we're, we're going to do that in a minute. Let's start though cuz when you're talking about getting a real sense of the Bengals draft approach and really understanding things you start with Dane Brugler. So let's start with my interview here with with Dane and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit of defense. So here is our draft star, Dane Brugler. What's up, Dane? Hey, Paul. How uh, excited for the draft? We're what two weeks away. It's almost here. It's almost here. I'm sure you are excited to uh, sure. have the draft happen, and you know, take a few weeks before you move on to the 2023 prospects. I'm sure you're already digging, thinking about digging into that, though. Well, I, I, you can't help but uh, pick up some tidbits here and there. Uh, you know, when you're talking to players, and oh, you know that. Uh, Ohio State's got this guy next year. You know, what'd you think of him and things like that? So yeah, no, it's 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 a year round three, a year round thing. That's uh, you never turn it off. So uh, hopefully after the draft, get a little bit of 
a little bit of rest, spend some family time. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely a year-round process. Yeah, well, Dane, it's awesome. The Beast is incredible. For people that don't have it or have not seen it, uh, cannot recommend it more to cover any question you could possibly have about any individual who will not even get drafted in this draft but will end up on a roster. It's there in depth. It's incredible. Uh, Seven-round mock draft that you had is now up, too. Also, you are going to be live in Vegas with Robert Mays and Nate Tice on draft night for people that want to hop on to the Athletic and NFL show. Um because uh, that's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, the first two nights we'll be going live with every pick. So, uh, what, first 105 picks, I believe, on on Thursday night, Friday night. So that's going to be a lot of fun for sure uh, to – Break down the picks as they happen. What does that mean? What you know? What surprises we're going to see? I, I, I'm really looking forward to that. So, um, yeah, people, a lot of feedback on the on the on, on the draft guide. The beast has been awesome, uh, and then the seven round mock dropped uh, today, and so that's been a lot of fun to hear people. Uh, of course, I've you know everyone's been thrilled with it. All 32 fan bases have absolutely loved every pick. So I, I wouldn't <laughs> expect anything else other than that. Look, I'm thrilled. You know, Clark Harris may not be happy with the long snapper <laughs> pick in the seventh round, yeah, but yeah. I love the depth. I, I love I love looking for every little angle. I want to. Do you ever give up on finding out how many siblings somebody has had, or when the first year was that they started football? Like you're close, you know. You get almost everybody yeah. in a section is like one guy, and you don't know if he was the third or fourth born, and you just give up on it. I um, <laughs> spend way too much energy being frustrated about not finding out some of that stuff. Like I and I, I, I need to remind myself, like it's it's okay if you don't know, uh, you know, how many siblings uh, this seventh round defensive tackle has. Uh, it's okay. Like I need to remind myself of that sometimes. But you know, I just. <laughs> I, I create this draft guide as something that I would want to read, you know, as a, as a, at my heart, I'm a big draft fan. I love scouting. I love evaluation. And I, I want to create something that I would want to read. And I did. So I would just try to make it the best that there is. I, I yeah, that's out there in terms of comprehensive information. So uh, maybe I'm probably a little too hard on myself, but you know what? I think that's what kind of sets the bar high uh, with this draft guide. I totally agree. And there's a reason that I bring that up besides just giving you a hard time. And that is, one thing that from a Bengals perspective that they felt like their team and their culture was built on was finding guys who love ball, who love practice, who love the process, who who have the, the makeup. And the, a thought being that's been circulated is that it's harder to find those guys these days as as the landscape of fo- football changes, of college football changes. As someone who goes through that and looks for that and f- tries to find that in every player, do you find that it is easier or harder to find those guys than it was before? And 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 how? what are the things that you kind of most look for when you're digging into that to, to find that type of stuff that teams covet so much? I, I think it's become easier for me over the years just because as my, you know, network grows, um, you know, I'm able to uh, talk to college coaches and, you know, I've got that relationship now where they're, they're not going to feed me info. Uh, that's 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 bad because then they know that you know that that destroys that relationship. So they they will be honest with me and they know that I'm not going to go out there and just repeat it. Um, but I, maybe I will in a certain way write in the report that hey, you know what, you know, scouts are uh, you know there or the, the the college his college career uh, there were some 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 issues or something like that. So you know it's. It is definitely tough because uh, you know you've got a lot of guys that are good at football that enjoy playing, but when you get to the NFL, it's a different animal. It's uh, it's it's a business. It's something that takes up all of your time, and when you have money in your pocket um, and all these different 
options open to you. Uh, you know, and that's why we a lot of times first round picks, second round picks, they bust. And sometimes the reasoning is they're just not ready for pro life in terms of all the responsibilities uh, that, that that come your way uh, on the field, off the field. So um, it, it can be tough at, at times, no doubt. But I think there are certain triggers that tell you, okay, yeah, this guy does love ball, whether it's, you know, playing through injury, uh, whether, you know, that competitive toughness, uh, watching tape in, in, you know, late in the game, the fourth quarter, and the guy is showing the same amount of energy at the last play of the game as he did the first play of the game when it's, you know, 20, 21 point lead. So I, I do think that there are certain things you could pick up on pretty, pretty quickly with a guy and that you, that you know, okay, yeah, this guy, it's not, it's not forced. It's not, um, it, it's not something that, is uh, untrue. I mean, he he genuinely loves playing football, and I think that translates to the next level. So it can be tough at times, but I, I do think there are some indicators. Well, keep that in mind. Uh, love ball prospects as I quiz you a little bit on some Bengals targets throughout this draft uh, as certainly something that they're going to have high atop their list of competitive type dudes that feel like fit the culture. I'll start here. You mock draft, you had Tyler Linderbaum at 31. He's been probably the most, one of the most popular mocks of the Bengals because the fit is so obvious. I mean, yeah. he would, would thrive in the zone, in the zone, wide zone scheme. He, you know, he would play center. You could move Karras over to guard. So many things about it make sense. The one concern you hear is the size and ability to what, where do you fall on that as far as is, is there a real concern about him not being maybe necessarily the prototypical size that you'll be looking for and being able to hold up in that respect uh, and I think and it's not even so much the 6'2 295 it's it's the under 32 inch arms mm-hmm. that's that's what really concerns me um, and I think it's fair I mean it, it, I mean, it's just physics when you're a center with under 32 inch arms and you're facing a guy that's a defensive tackle that's got 35 inch arms you're at a disadvantage and it, it, that that defensive tackle is going to be able to get his hands on you and uh, give, give you a little bit of push and so um, it, it's, I think as a run blocker, we're going, you know, that, that's really where Tyler Linderbaum thrives. Uh, he, he, I think he could be an elite level run blocker in the NFL holding up in pass pro. That's, that's, that's going to be a different, different story and something that that's where a little bit of doubt creeps into your mind. Um, but if you talk about a guy that loves ball, uh, this guy, the mentality that he plays with. Um, I, I mean, you talk to any of the coaches at Iowa, they just rave about him. Um, he was a team captain last year, uh, innately motivated, plays through pain. Um, I mean, he started uh, at, at uh, every game the last three years, 35 straight starts. So I think there's a lot to like with him technically, uh, athletically, uh, competitively. It's just some of the, the measurables are, are just not quite there. But uh, I, I think with Tyler Linderbaum, there's more than enough to compensate, and, and you're willing to take that chance. Um, what's the, How big is the gap, the difference um, between him and you get to a Jurgens or the guys that are the next second and third level down. Are there many of those? I mean, where you're like, okay, we loved the idea maybe of adding a center, uh, but how big is the gap that you're more, maybe more willing to pass on that for other premium positions? I think that's the other thing that hurts uh, Linderbaum is the fact that this is a, a sneaky, strong drafted center. Uh, Cam Jurgens is the second round version of Tyler Linderbaum. When you talk about movement skills, you talk about size, except Jurgens is a little bit bigger. He's over 300 pounds. He's got his inch or his arms are, are two inches longer. That, that matters. That, that's a big deal. 
So uh, Cam Jurgens maybe not as proven on the field, but he shows a lot of the same traits. And so he is that second round version of Tyler Linderbaum. And then in the third round, Dylan Parham from Memphis, Cole Strange uh, from Chattanooga, Luke Fortner, Kentucky, uh, even uh, maybe Zach Tom from Wake Forest. Some teams like him as a potential top 100 pick. So uh, it's a really good center class if you're looking for players who can come in and compete for jobs early. And especially for guys that uh, give you a little bit of position flexibility where, uh, you know, a guy like Tyler Linderbaum is a center only. Uh, Luke Fortner, he started more games uh, at guard than he did at center at, at Kentucky. Cole Strange, he was primarily a guard in college, but he looked outstanding at center at the Senior Bowl. Uh, Dylan Parham, same type of thing. He was primarily uh, a guard, but teams look at him as a center. So it's a really gr- a deep group of centers in that top 100 first three rounds, and that could end up hurting Tyler Linder- Linderbaum as teams you know look at their options and say we'll wait on this position and, and go after a position maybe we feel is not as strong second third round. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. We know kind of the group of corners that the Bengals will be targeting, number one priority for them. We know we're talking about Booth, Elam, Kyler Gordon are kind of in that potentially in that 31 range, or if they were to try to trade back uh, a few spots, whatever that would look like. Mm-hmm. I'm more I'm more interested in beyond that as you've dug into the guys in the second and third round. There's a particular group that kind of perks my interest. Small school mid-round guys at corner, outside corner in particular, showed up here. Tariq Woolen, Joshua Williams, Zion. And McCollum, you have all those. What did you what did you see in kind of looking at them and, and, and how big do you think the transition is for them going from small school to big school and being able to who which one of those types of guys could maybe be the quickest to pick up the NFL level? Yeah, I think what really helped those three guys is the ability to play at the Senior Bowl. Uh, all three played in Mobile, and they performed well. They did not look like they were out of their element going up against better competition, and that's huge. That's, that's a big first step for them. Um, I do think with somebody like Tariq Woolen, for example, it's not just that he played at UTSA, you know, which is a group of five schools, not necessarily FCS or Division II. But uh, he made that transition from wide receiver to corner really in the midst of a pandemic. So, you know, he is still learning the position, still growing. Um, And it's funny, you know, a lot of schools will embellish a little bit with the size. And so you'll see a corner that's listed at 6'3", and then he's, you know, six foot and change. Tariq Woolen is a verified six over six foot four, uh, 205 pounds, ran a 4'26". 
at the combine, just a remarkable uh, traits athlete. Uh, and we know com- or the cornerback uh, position, it is a stopwatch position. Uh, more, um, Probably more than any other position, you're looking at the traits and saying, okay, we'll bet on that. For a guy like Tariq Woolen, who is still raw in a lot of areas of playing the position, oh, but he's 6'4", 206, almost 34-inch arms with 4'2 speed. Yeah, sign us up. We'll take that gamble in the second or third round. Um, and then the other guys you mentioned, like Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State, uh, another big guy, 6'3", 195. Doesn't have the same type of speed, but I tell you what, he did a nice job during one-on-ones uh, at, at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he, he's really physical. Uh, he Maybe you know the technique needs to catch up a little bit. But he finds ways to stay connected. He's got good good footwork. He's got size. Uh, those are the foundational traits you're looking for in a corner. And then you mentioned Zion McCollum, who all he did was test maybe just about as, as the best out of any of these defensive backs at the combine. At 6'2", 200 pounds, running out low four threes. The jumps were amazing. Uh, under 6'5", in the three cone, uh, just remarkable. Five-year starter uh, at the FCS level. Helped uh, lead Sam Houston State to the 2021, the spring national title. 54 passes defended over his career. Uh, there's a lot to like about uh, Zion McCollum. Oh, by the way, his uh, twin brothers also in this draft tested pretty well uh, also at the pro day. So there's a lot to like about the traits. And yes, there's going to be a learning curve but uh, like I said, more more often than, or, uh, than any other position, you're willing to bet on those raw traits at corner uh, than some of these other positions. Zion McCollum, uh, relative athletic score, perfect ten uh, for from Math Bomb, which bad. was which was one of those one of those that that sparks you up. And I, one of my favorite nuggets in your entire beast is that him and his twin brother. The reason they kind of ended up at Sam Houston State because they wanted to go to the same school together, where both of them could get in, and that's kind of how you end up at a small school like that. Uh, that's that, that's the depth term, you get. Yeah, that's the depth term, you get. Ter- and, that, and that's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of knowing where these guys are headed. You need to know where they're from. And okay, well, why this guy end up at, at Sam Houston State? Oh, he had an had an offer, or he's committed to Utah at one point. Uh, but oh, his twin brother. I mean, yeah, that that helps connect the dots and and, and put those puzzle pieces together. Okay, uh, three techniques. It seems like not a great draft for them now the the Bengals are looking at number 31 they wouldn't have been uh, after any be able to get any of the elite ones anywhere if there were Devontae White is the top you have him at 27 in the mock draft you know I see these every once in a while he goes from being in the teens to showing up in the 20s I'll ask you what I asked Mike Renner of PFF last week is there any chance in hell that Devontae Wyatt does somehow slip all the way down to 31 I think the chances are low, but there's at least a chance. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to be – he's he's already 24 years old. There are a lot of teams that are not going to draft a 24-year-old player in the first round. It uh, doesn't matter what position you play, uh, maybe except for quarterback. So uh, that that's something that could affect uh, where he goes. But at a certain point, it's just like, okay, the talent outweighs what ideally we want in terms of some of these factors. And so uh, I will not say it's impossible for Devontae Wyatt. And if not for Jordan Davis, his Georgia teammate, and the remarkable combine he had, we'd be talking more about Devontae Wyatt and how much of a freak he is. 6'3", 305, he ran a 477. Uh, remarkable time in the 40-yard dash. And, you know, he, we talk about it with Trevon Walker, uh, his teammate at Georgia. It's going to be a top three pick. How he really wasn't able to blossom and they didn't let him loose as an athlete. 
Kind of the same thing with Devontae Wyatt. You see the motor, you see his effort, but you also see an ability uh, to win with quickness, win with power. You see pass rush moves, uh, but a lot of times he wasn't able to show that uh, very often. So I, I do think Devontae Wyatt, there's going to be a lot of landmines in front of the Bengals from you know the Cardinals, the Bucks. A lot of teams are going to look at three technique and see a guy that's going to make their defensive line better with Wyatt. So probably not going to make it there to 31, but there's at least a, ch- a chance. It I just it just seems like I never even thought about it until then. Occasionally, he just shows up a little further back and a little further back, and it kind of every year it seems like there's somebody that makes you wonder how it happened. And a team like the Bengals would be thrilled if that was a reason that it did. Uh, it, it probably won't, like you said, mid round three techniques. Does anybody stand out, or is it just kind of slim in that area? Yeah, you know what, it really is. I think that uh, obviously when we're talking about third, fourth, fifth round. There, there's a reason these guys are talked about in that range. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, if they wait until the second or third round, say they wait on day two, like a DeMar- DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M has a little bit of that. I, you know, I, we, we talk so much about versatility, inside outside versatility for defensive linemen. I, I'm not sure if De- DeMarvin Leal has that versatility or if he's just a tweener, you know, and there's a difference. I, I think he might be stuck between, is he an end? Is he a three technique? Um, so Leal, there, there's plenty of question marks there. Matthew Butler from Tennessee, uh, 6'4", 300 pounds. I, I think he might be a fit uh, when you talk about the fourth round. Uh, Kalia Davis uh, from UCF. I, I think we'd be talking a lot more about him if not for he had an ACL injury back in October. Um, and that really you know knocked him out for his senior year. Knocked He would have been at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he would have had an invite. But um, you know he did not have a chance to be there because of that injury. Wasn't able to work out for teams. But if the doctors give you two thumbs up and say, you know, his knee is progressing nicely, we feel like long term, no uh, real damage, nothing that you have to really worry about. He should be able to get on the field at some point during training camp. Uh, Davis is a guy, I think, in fourth, fifth round that could be, uh, you know, a sneaky good pick for a team looking for uh, more juice at the three technique. Um, Speaking of juice, I'll give you one last kind of uh, mid to late round target here wide receiver punt return juice um it's kind of where the Bengals are looking for that combo um somebody who can come in and be receiver four behind their big three and then be able to be a real help on special teams in return um where where do you where you look at names on that yeah and I think if you know they want to go in the third round they could find a guy like a Calvin Austin out of Memphis uh Wandale Robinson um out of Kentucky if they wait till day three one of my favorite day three receivers this year is Danny Gray from SMU. Um, and I think if there's a Darnell Mooney in this class, uh, you know, day three pick to the Bears, ended up being a starter. It could be a Danny Gray, six foot, 190, legit 4-3 speed. Uh, he can win deep. And it, what I loved about his tape is he wins at all three levels. Uh, he can win underneath, be a yak threat, win in an intermediate game, and then he can also get behind the defense and track the football. You wish he was a better finisher. Uh, the Way too many drops on his film uh, that just you know get, are frustrating. But that's why we're talking about a fourth-round pick here and not someone in the top 100. So I, I think Danny Gray would be uh, one of those guys that can you know, help you out on special teams as a return man. Uh, but then be a, a fourth receiver with the potential to be more down the road. Um, I, I appreciate all your time and taking us deep into some of these uh, Bengals targets and what they'll be looking at as the year. The only only one more, really one left here uh, that on my mind, and that's tight end. And if, let me ask you about Charlie Kohler from Iowa State. I mean, we talked about 
process, love ball, leadership types. You have a lot of those in, in the beast yeah. about him. I mean, they're looking for somebody who can bring them a little bit more long-term receiving tight end type juice. Would he, he seems like he might be a guy that could fit that check a lot of boxes of a really quality receiving tight end of the future that brings all those intangible traits. Yeah, he comes from a very athletic and also academic family. Uh, you know, his parents uh, are at uh, professors at uh, Oklahoma. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy that um, has a you know he won the academic Heisman uh, as uh, this past year as a senior. Uh, but he is also really productive on the football field. Uh, I mean, he was an All American uh, each of the last three years. Set the Iowa State uh, single season records for catches by a tight end. Uh, he, team captain. So a lot of those things fit. I do think, uh, you know, sometimes he'll overthink things. Uh, you know, he's so smart that he, he's so analytical, uh, his process that he will overthink things at times instead of just playing loose and playing on instinct. Um, and that's something that will creep up at times. I, he tested really well for a guy that's 250 pounds running a 462 in the 40 yard dash or, uh, you know, the jumps were really good. Seven flat in the three cone. I don't think you necessarily see him uh, separate all that much on film. So you want to see those testing numbers show up more on the on the field. That's what I'm talking about with in terms of overthinking things uh, where he can just get a little bit better. I think as a rookie, he's a guy that's going to help you right away in the red zone. Love his ball skills. Love his ability to, to, to make catches through contact in traffic. I think he can do that right away. And then I do think long-term he has some some upside as a guy that is going to push for starting reps. So Charlie Kohler, uh, I think right now I've got him late third, uh, early fourth, could sneak into that top 100, uh, but could be uh, could be in the mix uh, for the Bengals if they want to go tight end there. Love it. Uh, everybody, make sure you check out The Beast if you haven't. Check out the seven-round mock draft if you haven't. And uh, certainly on draft weekend, you're going to want to check out Dane, Nate, Tice, Robert Mays live in Vegas, staying out of trouble, staying in front of the mic. So that's where you know it's uh, you know it's all on the up and up there. So Dane, thanks again for your time, not just with me, but all the work that you put in this to making all of us be able to enjoy the draft more. So uh, appreciate it. Have a good one, man. Would you tell me before we hit record twenty on? Was it red or uh, I can't remember? I, or, <laughs> look, no. no, I just said you know, just look. It's it's twenty three is the number. Twenty three. Okay, got gotcha, you. Gotcha, is gotcha. my number. So yeah, keep no. an eye on that. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it, man. I, I always enjoy talking with you. Yeah, thanks, Dane. All right, great as always to chat with Dane, who is just a machine, <laughs> an absolute uh, machine uh, of content. I kept testing him, all these specifics and. Of course, knocked out of the park every time. You know, it's it's not a comedy piece, but I find myself chuckling every time I read through the beast. Just the stuff he digs up on the on these guys' um, backgrounds. It's it, there's so much that goes into it, and he he pulls some of these nuggets out, and I just I just kind of chuckle and shake my head, like man, that I I I can only imagine how many hours goes into putting that thing together every year and your conversation with them. I, I loved it. How it just, you just get right into it with Linderbaum and Dane gets to the 32 inch arms part of it. And that is going to be a, a huge question. If, if he's there for the Bengals at 31 with those short arms. And it, like Dane said, it's just physics. You know, if you got 32 inch arms or less than 32 and you're going against a D tackle at 35, it's gonna be hard to win. Yeah, let's let's kind of you know because here's the thing we're, we're going to talk about defense here right now, um, and, and but it's impossible 
to talk about the Bengals draft defensively and not talk about, well, what would it take? What would it take to get off of defense here in the top of this draft? It just, look, we have seen this happen where they go offense uh, in the draft the last few years and they went defense in free agency and it flipped this year and flipped. They, they went offense uh, in free agency and you have, I mean, it's remarkable. You know, when you look at Jay, your, the, the, the draft strategy for defensive line and then versus the one for secondary, the difference in how many people are signed up for the long term, uh, where in the defensive back room, there are two players, two humans signed up to play secondary for the Bengals beyond next year. That's it. It's Mike Hilton and Chidabay Wuzier. Everything else is unsigned, unknown, including an open spot right there as potentially a starting corner and at the very least your first man off the bench and, and you hope to be a number one down the line. That is a whole lot of uncertainty. And they have not drafted a single defensive back outside of Jordan Brown in the seventh round in 2019 since Zach Taylor got here. Not not a one, okay? And you go all the way back to William Jackson in the first round in 2016, Jesse Bates in 2018, and in the top of your draft, first four rounds, that's it since William Jackson for secondary players. I mean, it's just... It's not something that they have, they've gotten so far away from it. We've had this old adage of, oh, the Bengals are taking those corners every other year, right? They're Mm -hmm. they're loving their investment in that secondary. They had five first-round corners. That's an old adage. The new thing is they have not done this. And that's why, to me, it's, it's so right in front of you when you see those two next to each other. The defensive line, which has a damn near the whole team is signed up beyond next year uh, versus that secondary is just so badly in need uh, of an influx. I, I Boy, the it just feels like this is where this is good. It's going to be really hard to find an offensive player to get them off their mark here uh, on, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, maybe first and second round. It, Absolutely. It goes defense, defense. I mean – and you know, you mentioned how the the drought with with not taking defensive backs they they have not taken a, a player in the top fifty who plays defense since William Jackson in twenty sixteen. Jesse Bates was fifty four. He was the next closest. They've had eight top fifty picks since then, and they've all been offense. Wow, that's them and the Rams are the only ones that have not had a defensive player in that time span. And the Rams, oh by the way had one total top 50 pick <laughs> since yeah. 2017. So That's remarkable. It, I mean, that's it, really it amazing. It really is. And it, and it speaks to why you feel so good about the direction of their offense and the growth that they're having. They're all growing together. And, and, I, and I love that idea. I think they have done that perfectly in letting those guys all grow up around Burrow. The other point I want to make when we talk about, you know, what would it take to get them off of these, these defensive guys that are going to be available, it's that, this quote from Duke Tobin from the Combine, which I trotted back out, I thought it was a great way to start this, and that is he said this when talking about picking late. And it, and it, I think he 
the question didn't know was going to go there, but I thought he went somewhere that's important for this conversation. He said, I think picking late opens up the universe of possibilities for you as opposed to picking very early. You get a premium talent, but picking late, you might have a broader spectrum of guys to choose from and maybe a little easier to fill an exact need with a guy that is comparable to other guys at that level. I don't mind picking late at all. I love it, actually, which is him kind of joking about, yeah, let me be picking late every year. Mm-hmm. But I think the point there is, you know, it's – it's uh, it's it's like the pyramid system, right? You know, the further you go down the pyramid, the more options you have across your tiers that are in the same tier. So you're going to pick your need in that tier, and that's what we're going to have at 31. And their needs are so clearly on defense and where they're going to go that you know it just seems really unlikely um, that they would go off of that especially when you're talking you mentioned Linderbaum I mean what we're talking about a guy who he's not a perfect prospect we're talking about a guy who is a pass protector because of short arms and being undersized uh is you're wondering is he kind of a liability in some respects you know and that's a concern when you're talking about then have doing that instead of taking Andrew Booth or Kyer Elam, or Logan Hall, or whoever you have uh, at, at 31 on the defensive side of the ball that really hits you nicely. Now, those guys have their issues too, but your just needs are so much heavier on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and it it, it, it opens them up, not only the, the wider universe of players, but it, it sets up too for one of their favorite moves, which is the double up. Because you, you, you can take multiple stabs if, if you've got the one guy you're you're more sure of you know say it's a a corner it, and you kind of touched on in the in the defensive back series where you you've got him taking booth in the first round and then going and getting another one uh taylor from tennessee in the fourth you can do that and kind of throw multiple darts at a spot um because you're not it's Nothing is certain, but when you're picking up in the top 10, you you have a pretty good idea of who that guy is and, and, and where he fits, and he's going to be there for a long time. And it's it's not a crapshoot at the end of the first round, but there are more variables there. And it, it does make sense to go more for need in this team. That's where the need is. It's it's getting a backup defensive tackle, and it's getting a, a corner that it can either push Eli Apple or beat him out. The needs on offense just aren't – I mean, yes, they need some depth at wide receiver, but this is a super deep wide receiver class. You can afford to wait. And the signing of Hayden Hurst kind of pushes – kind of kicks the tight end can down the road a little bit more. Um, it, it it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them go defense, defense, defense in this draft. All right, let's just take a quick break. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's run past your boot this, Jay. Uh, Run past your boot first offensive player taken. Rounds one and two. I'll put them both out there. So first, second round, uh, third round, day three. Run past or boot? Well, I'm going to boot one or two. Um, even even though it's a possibility, I, I just I don't see it happening. The big question is, I I think I would run with three because I do think there is a good likelihood they trade back in the first or the second round, which gets them an extra third round pick. So, so maybe, maybe they, maybe they still go defense, 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 but they get an offensive guy with the final pick of the third round. I feel like so, a trade back is, is probably going to end up with a four. I mean, you did the piece last week, like l- yeah. analyzing trade backs. It feels like the, the going rate for as far as they'd be willing to go, unless they made a massive drop would probably be early day three, a fourth round pick, right? Yeah. And, and you know, unless History they speaking, Unless they traded out of the first round and and went, I don't know how comfortable they would be going ten or twelve spots. But I think you could get a third doing that. But still, it just I, I think the odds are there that I said that you know they they could go defense, defense, defense. But I, it's rare, so I, I think I I will run with third. I'll pass on fourth or later, and and I'll I'll boot first or second, which seems crazy. It's not what this this team has done in the past, but it's where they are right now. Yeah, I mean it's it, it is really hard because you, you do throw in the trade factor and you know you could see a pick swap happen back there. You know, mm-hmm. where okay, now you have an extra third because you gave up a sixth or fifth or something like that is as as part of a part of a swap to get up higher. The thing is though, you know, the the draft has a nice depth. I mean, you get in that fourth and fifth round with the 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 total prospects um you see a lot of really nice players back there. So that's why I think they would also, you know, you would love to get that. It's just a matter of adding those extra picks. If they add the extra pick, you know, if you trade back out of day one and add an extra pick in the even in the fourth round, I think you know, you're more likely then to see them go defense, defense, and and then use the fourth round as a chance to get the receiver or the tight end mm-hmm. or a guard. You know what I mean? Whatever, whatever that is. To me, 
I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna run with the I'm gonna also gonna run with the third. I'm with you. I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on day three and and boot first second. I'm gonna do the same. I I hesitate to because you know it's still wide open and they still could add an offensive lineman. And what do we hear? You know, talking to Brian Callahan today. Look, Deontay Smith. They're kind of focusing on him at the tackle position right now, and you know Jackson Carmen. You know, we'll see. Um, and, and that, to me, the tackle position is really interesting because there could be some really good ones available there. Um, and if a Zion Johnson or a Kenyon Green are sitting there, I just I, I don't see it being Linderbaum. But if one of those two guards are sitting there, and you really feel like you can solidify things and not be taking as much of a chance with Jackson Carmen or let him compete, that's enticing. Right. I mean, there is an enticement there, but I, I just think when you talk about guys like Booth, guys like Elam, guys like Hall, um, some of the other guys that are in play there, um, potentially, and, and a lot of the other, you know, there's plenty of good defensive players that think that, that look like they'll be there in that spot. I just think that that weighs more. The other thing that's interesting when we dial back, you know, I, I think there's a really intriguing group, and I think they're very intrigued by the next wave of corners. Um, you know, I mentioned in the sleepers to track section, Cam Taylor Britt um, from Nebraska. They had in for a visit. Um, we talked about him. I can't remember where we talked about him. If somebody was on this podcast or somewhere else, there's so many places we've talked, I forget, but he's got all this competitive ball loving process, loving, you know, stuff that the Bengals love so much. He's got some traits. I mean, his tape's not clean. He's a little bit more of a projection. Um, but if there's anybody that would know the personality of a player from Nebraska, it's Zach Taylor with every connection you could ever imagine back there. Um uh, a perk of being in, in the Nebraska Hall of Fame. But, you know, y- you talk about somebody uh, who, if they're sold on the character and then brought him in and he's sitting there in the second round, um, certainly makes a, a ton of sense. To me, it's some combination of corner and and defensive tackle with those first two picks is the most likely scenario because there's guys we can go down this list. I mean, we talk about Cam Taylor Britt. I'll bring up, you know, uh, let's talk about Logan Hall a little bit, who I've mentioned a couple of times, who's come on the radar a little bit more lately. Uh, you wrote about him in the defensive tackle piece. I mean, his versatility, it's hard not to. I, I tweeted out the relative athletic score combo between him and Calais Campbell. Tall, long, athletic, maybe a tweener, but in the Bengals' defense where they stress versatility, he can move outside, he can move inside, he can he can certainly be your inside three technique in passing situations, which is so valuable. He can, he can play as a rotational guy with B.J. Hill. You can move him outside if you need to a little bit, but really playing inside over the tackle, over the guard, in that spot, um, you can absolutely see him thriving there. He's so big and long. Yeah. Uh, and productive, and he's got all of these hardest working dude reshaped his entire body during the process. There, I mean, stuff that you just know stands out to the Bengals. You can just hear him talking about it now. That makes a ton of sense. A guy like that 
is something that they would make a place a big bet on. Absolutely. Even at 31. I mean, they've heard it from within their own building how how disruptive the pass rush up the middle is. That That's the one thing that really gets to Joe Burrow. And, and so a guy like Logan Hall, that even if he doesn't get home, you mention it that length, he can really kind of shrink the passing windows and, and bat down some passes. We saw Carlos Dunlap being so great at that off the edge with the long arms. It It is. It's, it's really intriguing because – I, I I think it was Dane that just mentioned it that the, the there's a difference between versatility and being a tweener and, and and I do think it's not he's not a guy without a position he's a guy that that can le- legitimately play either position and and I I don't know I don't know if 31 is a reach for him Dane's got him 37 overall maybe that's where they. They have a couple corners sitting there that they like at 31, and Logan Hall's still there, and that's where they say we're willing to trade back five spots, get an extra pick, and and, and bank on the fact that one of those three guys is still going to be there. And kind of going back to what we, we mentioned earlier, the, the defense, defense, defense approach, I, I just did a quick scan. You know the last time the Bengals went three straight defensive players in a draft? Oof. I don't. 1998. They actually went four straight. Went to <laughs> Keo Spikes, Brian Simmons, linebackers, Artrell Hawkins, cornerback, and Steve Foley, linebacker. Man. Guys that played a lot of snaps in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. A whole lot. participate in a lot of wins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Simmons did because he stuck around for the uh, the Renaissance. But, uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's – it has been a long time. I mean, there is – so – but they're they're doing they're doing that nature. Another aspect of this um, is the neck in the next wave, and, and I touch on this in a couple of spots, but particularly our good friend from last week's episode, um, Kent Lee Platty, the relative athletic score. You have these small school guys with these crazy traits are a part of this next wave. And it's a really interesting thing because there's multiple of them. Zion McCollum from Sam Houston state, perfect 10 relative athletic scores, rare as it gets. Um, and he's just a freak athlete, but he played at Sam Houston state. Uh, we heard Dane talk about him a little bit. I want to talk about him a little bit more. I've, I, I have find him incredibly intriguing. I mean, look, our, if you want guys that are like you said, it's a stopwatch position. If you got if you if you want guys that can come in and develop and learn to play the game here on this level, and you know they are freak athletes. I mean, I got the list here um of the people that have tested well in recent years between fifteen and twenty. Byron Jones from UConn, he was picked twenty seven overall. He was a perfect ten. Uh, this was in 2015. He has 103 starts in a Pro Bowl. Made a boatload of coin in the league. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore had a 9.99 in 2017. He was 11th overall. He's been one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Uh, Fabian Moreau from UCLA. He started every game for Atlanta in 2021. His career's been spotty, but he's he's obviously found a good role. C.J. Henderson was the ninth overall pick. He had a mess of dealing. He's one of the 
castoffs in Jacksonville, but not because he can't necessarily physically play the game. He certainly can, ninth overall. Eric Rowe, who has he's moved to safety for minus fifty career starts. I mean, this these this, this the skill set plays, man. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't matter. And and he also has, oh by the way, like thirteen picks and fifty four passes defensed in the truly truly brutal quarterback play of the uh, uh of the uh, Sam Houston State uh FBS. But that said, you got a guy like him, uh, you've got a guy like Tariq Woolen, you've got a guy like uh who am I skipping here? I'm leaving somebody off. Uh Damari Mathis. Uh anyway, from Fayetteville State, you've got you've got these small school guys with these great athletic profiles. That if you don't take a corner in the first round, I think that's a direction that you could certainly see it go as well. Yeah, I mean that's I I went with Woolen in the second round in, in the the mock draft I did. I you're right that the Bengals have a history of, of of liking those those small school guys and. Um, going off of traits and it, again it's another situation where you, you, they don't have a ton of needs so if you're going to roll the dice on a guy like that you can always back him up with a, a fourth a fifth a sixth something like that um and, and just take multiple stabs at it um i i don't know if the second round is too early for woolen but it's going to be interesting to see which way they go. You know they're going to have in the defensive draft series points this out is there's going to be that that second tier of corners, a handful of them that they can take at thirty one. And if they if they do go D tackle there or go some other direction, you're you're still going to have quality picks to to hit in the at the end of the second round, and that's that's where those those small school guys really could fit you 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 jump on them earlier than than somebody else might be willing to to take a stab on them and you know you've got it you've got a new cornerbacks coach you've got a defense with a lot of leaders to help bring that guy along you could you could absolutely see them taking someone who in other people's eyes looks like a project and in the what the Bengals with the work they've done they, they can see them contributing a lot sooner I got like Perion Winfrey would be there in the second round too. I just, I just and and that's important, you know, because it's you've got players. I mean, there's players at every position that are going to be there, you know, for you. But I I do think that there's a good depth there uh, where you feel like you can check both those boxes off. And if you do that, God, you just you just feel like you did what you needed to do, and the rest of it is just a matter of seeing what falls to you and what and, and what feels right i but to me that's the direction that you want to go first um let's cross over uh to the offense when we come back but first let's let's bring in deontay lee um who i you know is is fantastic uh, one of our our newest members of our team mm. with, with a great look at a bunch of a, a bunch of different aspects of this draft from a Bengals perspective so uh here is uh our our, our newest nfl draft writer uh deontay lee all right very excited to bring on our next guest and hear that podcast ground and that is our our latest free agent acquisition uh you know went out 
hit the hit the market, brought in another big free agent to to, to bring the juice. His name's Deontay Lee. If you don't know him, you should. Uh, he's covering X nose and draft and everything else for us here uh, at the Athletics. So, what's up, Deontay? I'm good, man. I wish I could have put out my Players Tribune piece about how I'm joining <laughs> the best team, <laughs> the best team of sports writing. But I'm I'm really really glad to be here. You know, I've been saying this to a lot of the people that have been kind of introducing themselves to me that. A lot of the people that are here, people that I've admired, people whose work I've been following for years on end, you know, I've been a consumer of the athletic for I don't even know how long, basically since inception. So it's just great to be here and be part of this place with all these people here that I respect. And obviously things are things are starting to change around here a little bit. And as they scale up, I'm just glad that there's enough space in the pocketbooks to bring me along. That's right. You know, it's just a, it's a matter you know, get, get your guarantees all in order exactly. and everything like that. Make <laughs> exactly. sure everything's nice straight. Let's sign in bonuses, all that. Yeah, yeah got it sure. all spread Absolutely. away. It's a shame they don't have like the signing office, you know, where you right. can go in there with like the big <laughs> yes. board behind you uh-huh. and and have your moment in the sun. Right. But, uh, we'll, we'll we'll call that what that's what this is then for exactly. us. Uh, chance, exactly. At least at least for the Cincinnati folks, you, you were with PFF, mm-hmm. you've done stuff for Cleveland.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you're kind of kind of full time here with us on the the draft team. Get, just kind of give me a little introduction to your background and how you kind of got into the game. So the way that I've kind of described it is that I, I feel like I have touched football from every p- potential angle that there is. So I, <laughs> I played in high school and college, um, left college and started a family. And while I had some downtime, you know, I, I figured, you know, writing was something I was passionate about. And football is obviously a passion of mine. So why not marry the two? And I did that kind of ran my own independent blog for about a year or so. Um, I'm guessing that something I did, I, I read some written something about Ohio State the year that they went to the playoffs. And I'm guessing that that crossed the desk of uh, Doug Lamar Maurice, which I'm sure your Ohio folks will know. Um, and he brought me on the podcast, kind of help, you know, get me situated where I could freelance and, and do some work for the Buckeyes. And I'm sure through that, I crossed the desk of some people at PFF, was working there in a freelance capacity for a little bit before I was full time. And now I'm here, man. I, I was telling you right before we jumped on, I feel like, you know, I, I've just been trying to keep my feet planted to the ground because this thing has been moving so quickly. Um, and now I'm here covering the draft, which gives me an opportunity to cover the pro game, the college game and everything in between. So I'm very fortunate to be here now. Yeah, we don't do easing in around here. We just show you, shove you right into April. Absolutely, like, <laughs> absolutely. Can hit the ground sprinting. Let's not mess you know? around with any like you know. Take a month to really right. kind of you get, guys... find your bearings. No, it's April, man. Exactly. Like, let's so go. If anybody's uh, seen those videos of you know when the treadmill is running at like twenty two miles per hour and you just got to jump on and just hit it sprinting, that that's basically where I'm at right now. So I'm just trying to keep my head on straight. I love it. Uh, let's let's dive a little bit into this draft from a Bengals perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the first pieces you wrote were about some was what some of the top edges in right. this draft, and I obviously the Bengals won't be up for for, for that group, mm-hmm. but guys that would be around in the first and second second round. I mean, what has been your impression of those? You know, they they're set. Hendrickson obviously, Osai they drafted last year. They really yes. like what he can be. Hubbard on the other side, but I think you know there you can't have enough dudes that are just going to bring it uh, from a almost strictly a pass rush perspective. Mm-hmm off the edge who do you see maybe in those middle rounds that really stands out to you that could be kind of a pass rush specialist that could be like a joseph osai part two for them to try to bring in so i would say if there was a guy to pick and i think that not just cincinnati but cincinnati for the sake of this conversation
conversation as one of those contending teams that kind of has the benefit of not needing anything immediate in production at that position right now. So when I think about it, I kind of think about a guy like David Ojabo, right, who's obviously nursing an Achilles injury and and his timeline is probably going to be a little extended, trying to make sure that his body is right by the time that he's 100 percent ready to go. But if I were a team like Cincinnati and let's say you are able to address, you know, whether it's interior offensive line or another defensive playmaker early in the draft and you feel like you've got a third or fourth round pick to play with and he's available, I certainly wouldn't protest something like that because you can bring him in and say, hey, you've got a full 12 month runway. Because it's not like we need you right now to produce for us. Take care of your body. Take care of your Achilles. Make sure it's stable and you're not at risk of re-injuring or injuring anything else in terms of soft tissue because you're overcompensating for it. I could definitely see him being a a nice candidate for a lot of these teams on the back end of the first round who are going to be picking in those late 20s, you know, to to the 30s, um, you know, in in the draft order as you get into like those mid-round types of areas. Um. Are there other finishers, you know, game? I mean, they're, they're, the Bengals plan on being up by about six points most games and having, right. having needing the defense just to finish it off. We saw that a ton last year. Uh, are there any other finishers that you see that can just be the dudes you just send out there to hunt in the, the NASCAR package or whatever anybody's calling it these days? Um, Drake Jackson is another guy that I, I have a lot, a big affinity for. Part of that is me being a USC homer for certain. Um, <laughs> but I, I think if you're talking about a guy who, again, has that potential to be straight rip off the edge, he can bend at the hips, you know, really finish at the quarterback. He's a guy that I think has the potential to do so. And I would probably make the argument that for as intriguing as he is as a prospect, he's probably underdeveloped. And that's obviously me being a USC fan and kind of looking at him pretty closely. You know, you can kind of see some of the ways in which he's maybe just knocking on the door of his potential. His weight has fluctuated a whole bunch throughout his college career. They've asked him to do different things from being a hand down interior defensive lineman to being a stand up kind of nine technique type. So getting to the NFL where he's going to have some clarity in his role and you can really lean into what he does best, which is ripping up the field, you know, bending at the hips and being able to finish on the quarterback. That's another guy who's in that kind of day two, day two uh, area that might be really intriguing for a team that's contending and is just trying to add surplus value. Uh, love it. Uh, that, you know, and, and that's, and it's funny, those two things we saw the, you know, Lou Anarumo, the Bengals coordinator loved using versatility in his mm-hmm. scheme. He's got, he's got those guys up, he's got them down and depending right. on where he's trying to go. But certainly when he's looking for finishers, that makes a ton of sense. I, I want to ask you about kind of you know, something you did uh, with it, with, the Seattle draft, and I think is is interesting. Look here, is that the cornerbacks? The Bengals are in that market hard. Yes, thirty one. You know, we know the big three. None of them are going to make their way down there. So we're talking about Booth. We're talking about Elam. We're talking about Kyler Gordon. You could go to the second round. A guy like Cam Taylor Britt, who Dane Brugler right. mocked to them there. Take me through your view of the differences between those, and kind of keeping in mind, you know, the 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 different he different schemes that that Anarumo likes to do he's in and out of man in the right. zone he likes to be able to do a little bit of everything can you dissect those guys a little bit for me um so I, I won't do them all in ranking I'll, I'll let you know who my favorite is of that next group and it's Kyrie Elam I feel like you know I've been pounding the table for this guy basically since the beginning of the draft and it's not like I'm the only guy who's in on him because prior to the college football season people were talking about him as being a first round type of talent maybe contending for being one of the top you know top tier corners along with you know Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley and I think that you know just as the season passed along and Florida kind of being the train wreck that it was throughout the season that he's kind of rubbed some of the sheen 
off of him. But when I look at a, a corner and you talk about the prototype, right? You want a guy who's six foot, got the arm length, plays physically, has the speed to be able to run on the outside, and then can do things ver- with some versatility in terms of playing your cover threes, playing your quarters, playing man. Just like you were mentioning with Lou Anarumo, like I think that his best his best quality as a defensive coordinator is his flexibility and his willingness to do anything or whatever it takes on the defensive end to be able to stop offenses. So when I think about versatility in that way, I think that Kyer Elam is the kind of player that you can get bring in and say, hey, at any point, if we ever need to just lock in, put our best guy on their best guy, play tight coverage, that's the type of player that can do that. He has the potential to do so. Uh, besides that, Kyler Gordon is a guy who's pretty versatile, could play inside and out. I think he would fit that corner back room really well again looking at what they did last year there was a whole lot of shifting of pieces right there was really no telling on a week-to-week basis how guys were going to match up what kind of schemes and and the Bengals are going to run and I think that Kyler Gordon fits into that even if he's not a number one corner type um, so those are probably the two guys I'd be most interested in if I were uh, if I were watching the Bengals and trying to see what they were going to do between the first and second round um, th- those are the guys that I, I would definitely have my eyes on why not Booth as as much as you are you not are you not a, not I in guess his camp? I don't see. I just don't see maybe the ceiling that some others do. I kind of yeah. see him as you know a guy who can fit in the, who can fit in the space. He can basically play just like I was mentioning with Gordon. He can basically play any kind of defense, and we know that because Brent Venables is you know as mad scientist as it gets in the <laughs> college ranks. Right, he'll run anything, and and I think that Booth does it well. The one thing that I think where people kind of talk about Booth that I maybe don't see is that potential to be a press man to man style of corner that can really help you lock in on wide receivers, and you can maybe do that as a number two on time from a time to time basis and certainly as a number three corner right like some of the ways and this is me rambling now some of the ways that I think about (laughs) receivers and corners is the way that kind of like basketball teams are built right where you like where you have a guy who can maybe score but you don't want him to be your lead scorer right if he's your second or your third option then you're probably going to be pretty good on offense that's the way that I kind of look at Booth so you know I, I while he is kind of being mocked in that late first round area, I would not rank him ahead or even with Kyir Elam, who I think it will be rightfully placed there. And I think that, you know, maybe you can say it's a coin flip between he and Gordon. And I just happen to prefer, prefer what I've seen from Gordon um, instead of what I've seen from Andrew Booth. Not that that makes him like, a bad player, though. No, no. And and uh, if the no matter who it was, if the Bengals came away with somebody to put next to Chidabe Awuzie and it's call him number two, yeah. they'd be thrilled yes. uh, to to do that. And that no, I guess no disrespect to Eli Apple, although all of NFL draft Twitter would like <laughs> to give disrespect to Eli Apple, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> or just the, NFL Twitter in yeah, general. The, that night, uh, but you know, that's, after that's, the Super Bowl was uh, <laughs> uh, there was, was a rough one. Yeah, there, was, there was a scene. lot of catharsis going on. <laughs> on well, you know, I mean, that's that's it, it's interesting. But they found a home for Eli. It's like right. you know, he's an He's a really interesting dude because right. I mean, you talk. You had a background with Ohio State. I mean, he obviously came out and had all the stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a top pick for a reason, and he bounced around. and He's an abrasive personality, right. and, and then he seemed to with like the disrespect that that defense thrived on last right. year. He just fit him, you know. Leaned he just kind of fit him. Yeah, <laughs> they kind of went all the way it. in. Absolutely. And then it, you know, in the Super Bowl, it backfired a little bit, but whatever. You hey, made it there. You know, that's the Got gamble, right? That's the gamble. You put your chips in. Sometimes it bites you. Sometimes you get to cash out. Out and, and he happened yeah. to end up on the wrong end of it. Yeah. 
But, you know, he, he also was playing in the Super Bowl, starting right. in a Super exactly. Bowl. And uh, a lot of people certainly did not see that twist coming at all uh, in yeah. his career certainly after not. New Orleans. Certainly uh, not. I want to ask you about safeties. Mm-hmm. Um, Bengals are in that in that market, too. We don't know the long-term future of Jesse Bates in Cincinnati. Von Bell in his last year, they have uh, no safeties under contract beyond next year. So mm-hmm. I, I think they're – they're probably, if you're saying maybe if they're looking for a Bates replacement, that in 2023, if he moves on, a center fielder who's got the skills to develop, and maybe by next year he's a star. I'm curious who are some of those guys, specifically center fielders, and 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 I'm all and in the same respect talking about this position, I find the position interesting because there's a lot of guys this year that are like, well. They you know they play this position in college that we don't know what they're going to be. Right. We're talking about Dax Hill. Dax Hill. You know he's yep. got these multiple positions. Or there's Petrie. Well, he's a Ooh. slot corner, but is he? A, could he be a safety? And right. There's these got a lot. Seems to be more of that. How do those, how do you view those guys translating? And who are some of the like future center fielders that you see in this draft? So if I had to pick one again in that same kind of 31 ish range for them, that would be the best version that they could possibly walk away with. It's Lewis Seen. That's my opinion. Yeah. You know, he's a do everything type, you know, um, and this is me being a being a coach currently and spending so much time in football. I catch myself kind of giving some of those canned coaching answers. But I do think that this carries over and it matters in, in conversations about seeing that basically from the time he was a true freshman. Anytime there was a difficult task involved in Georgia's game plan, Kirby Smart trusted him to get it done. So whether it's being a spy on Joe Burrow or playing man-to-man coverage on Clyde Edwards-Alaire when they're making their run in 2019 LSU um, and playing them in in the uh, SEC championship game to what he was doing this year, right, in a national title game, leading the team in tackles, being the defensive player of the game, and you see him do everything in between from playing in the middle of the field, dropping to a deep half, rolling into the box and helping out and run support, matching up with tight ends and backs and man coverage, that do-it-all type that you that we can obviously see that he likes, you know, when you talk about the ways that he's used Jesse Bates, you know, you talk about the way that this defense is designed in general, I think that a guy like Scene can add to that. And then you talk about those tweener types, like you were saying, Dax Hill is somebody who can move around a bit. It seems like he's drawing a lot of attention at safety a little bit more than as a, uh, a cornerback type. And I think that that would fit as well. You talk about that versus and he's obviously got top top tier speed and athleticism and that would add a lot to that defense as well and then I'm thinking if, if you don't walk away from the first round with one of those safeties and you're trying to grab a guy who also checks all the boxes my pick from that would be um what is his name? Kirby Joseph. Pardon me. <laughs> um, Kirby Joseph from Illinois, who is a guy who has grown and developed every year in his career. It was a little bit rough as a freshman or his first year starting, kind of started to even out in the COVID season. And I think in year three, when he's got a little bit of continuity in the staff and, and has a different role, you see that kind of takeoff breakout year for him as a safety. And he's got great size, six, three long arms, has a lot of range, can play at the, at the highest point and is a willing tackler. That's another guy that you can maybe get in later rounds that you might not expect to turn out to be a high level starter, but certainly checks all the boxes and projects out to be able to get those jobs done. Love it. Uh, you got a great piece up on modern linebackers mm-hmm. and what that looks like and, and where they come from. You know, the Bengals feel like they found one in Logan Wilson um, a couple of years ago who really kind of does it all. And, and they would say also does not commit uh, holding or pass interference right. penalties, you know, the goal line of the Super Bowl. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> um, you know, in a game where people have been talking about Logan Wilson for years, if it yes. wasn't for that, them losing on that penalty. Right. Um, but 
where does the game go? I'm curious, as a, just as an open-ended discussion, mm-hmm. where do you see the game going at that position, and, and, and how is it changing the most? I will say that, and it's it's not specific to them. I just happen to notice it because I'm I'm using it as a point, using what we're where we're at today as a point of comparison to what it was when I was growing up, right? And when I was growing up, you get that Mike linebacker. He's probably outside of edge rushers. He's going to be the highest paid player on your defense, right? Because he does so much in terms of fitting the run. Everybody's playing with heavier personnel, so you need this guy to be on the field all three downs, et cetera, et cetera. That's just not really the world that we live in anymore. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't still high paid linebackers as i detailed in that piece you still have your darius leonard you still have you know zach cunningham you still have you know fred warner logan wilson is another guy who i think you know when he gets to his next contract is going to be knocking on the door asking to be paid in kind with the market setters you know the cj mosley's etc etc so those players are still there we're just seeing that baseline in the way that teams value uh, linebackers kind of drop as we're seeing safeties and the values of those players kind of go up so I think that we're just seeing this kind of leveling out between interior defensive linemen, linebackers, and safety. So up the spine of a defense, right? These aren't the players who get paid the $19, $20 million all the time, but they are spots where if you can get, if you can fill up that defense with six to eight million, maybe eight to $10 million players, you end up pretty strong, right? You end up pretty strong. You have a lot of versatility. You can do a lot of different things. And funnily enough, you know, talking to you about the Bengals, that seems to be their approach in their roster building, right? They're not necessarily looking for a star, uh, you know, a star level three technique. You're not necessarily looking for a star level middle linebacker, even though you might have one with you, right? In Logan Wilson, you know, you're not necessarily looking for a star level safety. You just happen to get a guy who can play at that level in Jesse Bates. And that's the gamble that you make, right? Is that you're not paying premium prices at that position. But if you fill it up with enough of the right guys and one of them breaks out, now you've really got something to work with. So that's just kind of where I'm at with the linebacker position in conjunction with the rest of them. Um, And I think that because of that, you know, when you start talking about some of the guys that are available in this draft, whether it's a Chad Muma, a Christian Harris, um, you know, a Troy Anderson, um, some of these guys who are maybe day two to day three level picks that won't be the Devin Lloyd, N'Kobe Dean, you know, high, high level, you know, high profile types of backers. There's plenty of guys you can get that won't only be starters, but will probably be plus starters in the NFL. You know, guys like Quay Walker and Channing Tindall as well fit the bill. It's funny because uh, Bengals have been getting ripped here by myself and mm-hmm. others for taking third-round linebackers every year and watching yep. them bust every yep. single year. And then all of a sudden, they came back-to-back with Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson. And right. it, it's sort of like the the league kind of moving back in that direction. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, you know, that's just sort, sort of the, the, the way things are going. It's really interesting. Um I appreciate your time, Deontay, and uh, welcome aboard. It's good. Thank it's you. good to have you here. Um, and we'll definitely have to revisit some stuff after the draft and and check back in as the, as the year goes along and 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 see where everything goes next. But it's good to have you. Uh, good to have you on board, and I appreciate oh, the man. time. Thank you for giving me the time, man. I appreciate you, man. Have a good one. All right, great to uh, chat with Deontay Lee and welcome him into the program. Make sure you're checking him out. Follow him on Twitter. uh, Subscribe to him on the Athletic app and all of that good stuff. So uh, great to have him join us. Let's let's focus more on the offensive side of the ball here for a second. We touched on some of the offensive line uh, there for a little bit. Um, You know, another position that we've kind that you're kind of targeting here is is tight end and. You know, the more you go through, by the way, not a single tight end sign pass this year. 
Like, <laughs> again, we kind of find another one of these positions that has short-term and long-term openings. I mean, you've got to do something there for the long-term. I, mean, I think they're, they're clearly excited about Hayden Hurst. They love the idea of what he can be. And, you know, Brian Callahan said with us on Tuesday, he's really intrigued by what's going to happen with the tight ends in this draft because of how aggressively we saw teams go after that position in free agency, how the the cost bubbled up, how people were using the franchise tags, how CJ Uzama got real expensive and all these tight ends made a bunch of money. It was really a surprising uptick at that position in free agency. How does that correlate to the draft? Is that because teams viewed this draft as not being great at tight end, that they wouldn't have answers there, so they were worthy to pay more? Or is it the pendulum swinging back to valuing that position more? And we'll see an uptick in tight ends in the draft as well. Or will they go where you feel like they would normally be slotted to be? I thought it was a, a, an astute observation and, and a fascinating one to track as, as we talk about when can the Bengals get one of these mid-round tight ends. Yeah, I mean, it it is interesting because you, CJ was a fifth-round pick mm-hmm. and on second contract, huge, huge deal. It, I mean, it, you're, you're not talking about the the Kelseys and the, the elites of the tight ends that are hitting these big deals. It's, it's, it's everybody's position-wide. And is that because they – Teams value the experience more so than the crapshoot. There's there's not a lot of teams that are tight end dependent, and, and yet all these teams are, are throwing money. There's it. I mean, Dane has one tight end with a first or second round grade, and that's Trey McBride. This from third to fifth round is where the the bulk of them are. I it, it before the Hayden Hurst. Signing, yeah, you would think that they would absolutely be in the market for second, even third round to get a tight end. I, I, I tend to think it'll it'll be fourth or fifth now. There's just there, there's the more pressing needs on on defense. I still think wide receiver is a bigger deal than than getting a backup tight end. Now that you have Hurst, there you've got they're gonna have a lot to choose from in that fourth and fifth round range. And and it, it runs the gamut again. You, you've got the small school guys like Isaiah likely from coastal Carolina, which isn't, isn't quite as small as Sam Houston state and those, those other ones, but that they are all over the place and it, they, they struck gold. I don't know. You want to say struck gold, but they, they made CJ Uzama into a, a very valuable commodity out of a fifth round pick. And, and there's something to be said for history repeating itself there. There is. And, and I, I, one of my favorite things to do is kind of take a deeper analysis of where these guys are coming from. It's one of the core pieces of the NFL trend section of this strategy series. And, and I, it teaches you a lot about where you should, how you should view these things. And tight end has always been one of those where they, they come from off the beaten path. It, it's, it's not your mm-hmm. typical guys. But it, this struck me. I just was really taken by this. I went through and looked at the last five years of tight ends that have uh, – Graded at 75 or better for at least two two of those seasons for PFF. So top of the top, guys playing consistently, the best tight ends in the draft. There was 10 of them. Uh, you probably can guess the names. Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Gronk, Darren Waller, Tyler Higby, Jared Cook, Gerald Everett, and Zach Ertz. You know, kind of the kind of the cream of the crop as you, as you know it. Um, where did they come from? 
Jay, how many of those 10 do you think were the first tight end selected in their draft class? One. Was it Mark Andrews? No. Zero. Zero. Zero were the first tight end selected in their draft class. In fact, only two of them were the second tight end selected in their draft class. Zach Ertz was. Gronkowski was the Jermaine Gresham draft, by the way. Yeah. R.I.P. Uh, not R.I.P. Jermaine Gresham. He's very much alive and doing well. R.I.P. to that pick, not going as well as you would have liked to it. I apologize. Gresham's doing great. Had a fantastic career. Very healthy man. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, but in that, it's really fascinating because the average round of those tight ends is 3.2. The average overall selection of those is 87.2. The average number tight end selected that year, 5.2. I mean, this is where it's happening. I mean, the, the, to the idea of got to go get Trey McBride, right, which is what we talked about after everybody turned their mock drafts into us. No. In fact, <laughs> don't. I mean, assuming he ends up being the first one off the board – you know, third, fourth, fifth on average tight end selected is where you're seeing these stars eventually come from. What do you, so why, right? Why? Uh, We've been going back to relative athletic score a lot. and, And because sometimes it shows itself seven of the nine, because Higby was a non tester. So seven of the nine had a relative athletic score over nine. How about that? So impressive. Mid-round guys with high relative athletic scores uh, has been a very much a center of success. You know, when you're talking about how is this happening, where are they all coming from? Point directly to that stuff. Okay. So Jay, the next question is what? Who are those guys this year, right? Mm-hmm. Who are those guys who are supposed to go in the middle rounds and have the high relative athletic scores over nine? Well, you know I'm going to answer that question for you. <laughs> uh, or you can read it as well in The Athletic. But uh, you know what? We love our podcast listeners. So I'll give it to you here. Jelani Woods, who you heard Eric Edholm talk about a couple weeks ago, we know had the perfect 10, number only, only time ever for a tight end. Charlie Kohler who you also have heard us discuss on this podcast, and Daniel Bellinger uh, from San Diego State. Bellinger 9.66, Kohler 9.1, Jelani Woods with the 10. So if we're talking about sleepers to track, players to track, there is some of your profiles that fit where we've seen a lot of the best guys come from. I wonder if Jelani Woods would be the tallest Bengals draft pick. I no, Marcus Hunt was six eight. Six okay, yeah. And and Woods is six seven. So yes, that yeah, that but, would not make but sense. But he's a freak. I mean, and that, right. the thing yeah. that's interesting about Woods though, like when you watch it, like you don't see that. Like you don't look it doesn't look like you're watching a freak. I think it's just the general size, length, mm-hmm. explosiveness is there, but it doesn't feel like he's always playing that way. And that's part of it. Like maybe you you eventually get that out of them. 
And I thought if you if you once you watched the the year go by as his, as the season went on, you saw him getting more confidence, having more aggression in the way he ran with the ball, and seeing more of that come out. So some team's going to be in love with the traits and and take a stab at him. But I think that's what when we go back to circle back what Brian was talking about. When though to, is that going to bubble up? People going in early on that traits or is that something where a guy who doesn't necessarily have all the tape is still going to be around in round four or, or who are we talking about and they i mean i i'm going back to my mark andrews guess and it was such a bad guess because he wasn't even the first tight end drafted on his own team sure wasn't <laughs> that was that was hayden hurst, hayden hurst who is now a bengal correct um, and by the way, would anybody be more pissed if the Bengals took a tight end super early? Like he, he's just like all he had to say to us in his press conference was like, I don't know, everywhere I go, this crap keeps keeps happening to me. I got my opportunity, and then Andrews becomes a star. I go to Atlanta, play one great year, and they draft Kyle Damn Pitts. It's like you know, I just want to have my opportunity. And what if they were like Trey McBride? <laughs> Need to read Hurst, get get Hurst for comment. Uh, receiver. Uh, we've kind of pinpointed the type a little bit that we think that they're looking for. Um, I, I think we know that you want return juice here. We 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 know that that's part of it. You can get that other places. I mean, ideally, you're finding somebody that has all that. You know, to me, the question is: Is it just finding a receiver who's a great receiver? Or how much role will that special teams role play? I think pretty significant. I, I do think that when we talk about, you know, the guys that are noted, Calvin Austin, some of these other guys with the return juice, um, I do think that's going to come into play as as what they feel like is a nice fit for them there. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a two-for-one pick. You, you need both. You need a receiver and uh, a, a depth receiver, and, and you need – a returner. I mean, Trent Taylor did a decent job at the end of last year, but he's he's not he's not explosive. He, he's solid. He's kind of in the Alex Erickson mold, and and I think they're they won't they need someone who can be a game changer and who can hold on to the football. Um, which is why Darius Phillips is nowhere. No, now one of the reasons Darius Phillips is nowhere to be found these days. I I wonder if if it has to be that. I don't think it has to, but. There is there's going to be options where I I think you could find a guy who's more in that kind of return specialist mold uh, as a as an undrafted free agent and that's such a gamble if you got a guy you really like and and you think you can lock him down when the when the draft is over and and things can go sideways there quickly but I I do think there'll be options out there I don't think they have to get a receiver that has the return juice, but I, I do think that is going to, it's going to be a priority, but it's not, it's not all or nothing. They, if there's a receiver they really like that doesn't have a history of returning, they're not going to shy away from them. And there's, there's going to be, it, it's like tight end that, that middle part of the draft is just stacked with receivers and stacked with tight ends. There's going to be all shapes, sizes, whatever you're looking for, you're going to be able to find there in rounds, Four, late third, fourth, fifth, even sixth. Yeah, uh, between anybody with a third to fifth round grade, Dane has seventeen. 
<laughs> receivers with a with a potential third to fifth round grade on, on the list. I mean, it's a lot of guys, and you're right; they're all different. Where you can find one that fits exactly what you're looking for, and in that mix, Khalil Shakir, Boise State, Bo Melton. Uh, from Rutgers, mentioned Calvin Austin from Memphis. All guys that have returnability, have speed, uh, and, and have some some versatility to bring you different things. You know, you worry about, you wonder about size. How willing will they be to take on smaller receivers? You know, they're the physicality is important. Um, and, and is how how much will that matter, or how much will you look at Calvin Austin? At, Five eight one seventy, and say ah too small right mm-hmm. um um to be that maybe you do I, I'm really I think that's the curious part with this team is is if they're looking for that how much will they feel like they're sacrificing size or something else that they really need at some point if you're waiting to the third to fifth round to take a receiver you're sacrificing size but you know we certainly know ten years ago. Mosinu in the third, Marvin Jones in the fifth. If you're looking for templates of the type of player they're looking for and how they're trying to strike it again, you only need to look back to exactly 10 years ago in a draft that they really filled out their receiving core in the mid to late rounds. Yeah, another thing to keep an eye on, do they go get a taller contested catch type of guy? Do do they kind of have that contingency? Are, are they going to be able to sign – Burrow, Higgins, Jamar Chase when he comes up, Logan Wilson, all these contracts that are coming due, do they do they maybe get someone in the Higgins template that that could be a succession plan there if they can't keep him? And an interesting guy there is also from Clemson, Justin Ross, almost 6'4", 205. You're right. They're all most of those there's a whole lot of under 6-foot guys in that 3rd to 5th range. But it, it'll be interesting to see if if they go the other route and, and get a, a bigger guy that, you know, maybe we've seen the seen them do this before, and and it this isn't comparable yet to the early part of last decade when they were going to five straight playoff appearances. But you 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 put together a solid roster with holes, and you that's the way you start drafting is is succession plans in the back of your mind so there's there's a whole lot of directions they can go they're taking one maybe two in in these middle rounds and it's going to be really interesting to see what they prioritize if it's if it's size if it's speed if it's returnability whatever they want it's there yeah and 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 that's great i I, you know i i look at it and think one one receiver between the third and the fifth round is, is is where this thing ends um and there's just you're right there's so many different directions that that you can go and and you'll feel and you'll feel great at that point you'll feel like you you're you don't need to i don't think you need to go succession plan yet like you still have two more seasons mm-hmm. of t higgins on the rookie contract he can complain he could complain about it he could not show up for voluntary workouts next summer like we are seeing Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown and Terry McLaurin doing. But inevitably, he's under contract to play for you for two more seasons. And the way receivers come out, there's so many good ones every year. You're never – I don't think you'll ever feel pigeonholed there that you won't be able to get a receiver in a draft. 
You just go right in. If you're if you're picking 32, you go in there and you pick just like you picked T. Higgins a couple years ago. You find the next T. Higgins. I think that's where they'll have to go um, to, to make that happen. But I, it's I, to me, yes, finding a good rec- – I don't think you need to find another, content- another T. Higgins to person. I think you're just looking for a good receiver and it, no matter what they look like. And you're going to have a prioritization, if possible, to find one that could be a quality returner for you. It would bring you some element you don't have, the gadget player, right, that they, like, <laughs> have haphazardly tried to make Puka Williams into or whatever. Like, I, you know, it, and, that, and that's where you bring in the small guy. Like, well, we could create a role for this guy. Mm-hmm. You can make something happen for that guy uh, if we're talking about, you know, the Austin, Shakir, these types of guys. So very curious to see where that goes. But I think to me – um, that that's 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 where that position stands. And outside of that, you know, we talked a lot about offensive line earlier. Obviously, that's going to be a focus. Um, I expect to see something come off the board for them at some point. It's just a matter of when. It, you can make an argument for anywhere in the draft. I can make an argument for a guard at one. I can make an argument for not taking one until five or six. Um, and we'll see how that plays out. Uh, you can make an argument for. You know, one of the centers in the mid round. You know, but I think either way, it, it going through this process has taught me something, Jay, and that is more than I thought. And I thought, you know, there's obviously a lot of value in trading back. It is so much better if they can just add a fourth. Mm-hmm. And everything about them accomplishing what they want to this weekend. I mean, you add another fourth, you can check off both of those boxes, whether it be a double up, whether it be the second, the safety and the corner, whether it be the tight end in the fourth before things start to fall off or the receiver that you really like. I just, I just think it really opens them up to really kind of get what they want to out of everything. Um, I, I, and I, I, it just seems obvious to me. Now I don't know whether that will happen. It doesn't. It, it, the things have to fall together, and that tends to happen at the last minute, a little bit in the, in the forty-eight hours before the draft happens. But obviously, as we discussed last week, and you wrote about, that's why we've spent so much time on it. Um, it's something that feels like it could kind of complete what they have for their boxes they're trying to check off. Yeah, because p- people criticize the the trade back last year and, and, and ending up with Jackson Carmen in the year he ended up having. But but don't forget that that Evan McPherson probably doesn't happen if they don't make that trade back. It's it, there, there's two parts to that, and what you you touched on too. It, it, at 31, they they've got so many different directions they can go, and there is there there's not a lot of difference, even if you're just looking at a certain position there's not a lot of difference between prospect a b and c that are available so if you've got multiple positions and multiple guys within each position you can go back six seven eight nine ten spots and and still feel good about getting a guy that you want and and pick up that fourth round pick and yes that's what there there's so many positions that are that are really kind of bloated in the middle there with talent that 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 would really really open up their board to to add an extra pick and you know who who knows maybe they get crazy maybe they trade back in the first and the second because it's it's not that far 
off at the end of the second round where you're still you're still dealing with with guys with just the thinnest of margins of of difference between how they stack up as a prospect and that there's you're still going to have a lot of different directions you can go um with that second round pick so i i do i i think we did i i can't remember off the top but we did a run passer boot or we did a percentages of what we thought that of them trading back to me it it just feels more and more likely not maybe not necessarily the first round it could happen in the second round but at some point next weekend it it feels like we're going to see that and they've they've done it they've for the last five drafts they've traded back in the second round so it's the templates there the all the reasons to do it again this year are there it's just it it, it's starting to feel more and more likely that we're going to see it at some point over the weekend uh, before we get out of here, we gotta get another run past the boot in, and Jay's got stats. We can't, we can't go a week without it. <laughs> uh, Jay, what do you got stats on for me this week? So I was, I was curious what, how many guys that the Bengals draft next weekend will start for them this year, and it's not gonna be the plan, but there there could always be injuries. So I went back and looked to see how many draft game started by draft picks the Bengals have had and and well I started with recent history and I ended up going all the way back to the the start of the Mike Brown era in 1991 and it it hasn't been a lot you would think when things went south after the the 2015 season that they, they would be starting a lot of rookies as as the the team was kind of cratering and plummeting toward that number one overall pick for Joe Burrow. And it, it, it that has not been the case. Um, they 28 last year, 33, the year before 25 and 19, 27 and 18 and 22 games started by draft picks in 2017. And to put that into context, I also looked at where that ranks league wide only 2020 with 33 starts was even in the top half of the league. And he, you want to know why the 1990s were the way the 1990s were? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 1992, the Bengals ranked second in draft pick starts. 1993, first. 1994, third. 1996, tied for fifth. 1998, tied for first. That's not good. When you've got that many rookies starting games for you over and over and over again, that that kind of defines that that era. Um, more recently, the the highest ranking um, they they ranked eighth in the league in two thousand four. Um, they had thirty three games started by rookies. the The two thousand sixteen two thousand fifteen team they were tied for thirtieth. They were almost last in the league. 2016, and part of this is because William Jackson got hurt, first-round pick, didn't play a single game. But they only had six games started by rookies in 2016, and they only had eight games started by rookies in 2015. And that makes sense because 15 was you know, arguably the best team, one of the best teams in team history, even though it, it didn't go very far with the, the meltdown at Paul Brown, we all remember. And then coming off of that in 2016, the, like I mentioned, they, they still had a solid roster. They had the William Jackson injury, only six starts. So I, I was, I thought we would kind of piggyback those stats into a run passer boot. And that would be how many of this year's draft, how many games started by this year's draft picks? Will it be 17 or fewer? 18 to 26 
or 27 or more. Okay. Um, I'm going to run with 17 or fewer. I just, when you, even if, even if you go to the most positional need with your top picks, there's no saying that that person is going to get any starts. There's no saying that if they take Kyler Gordon or Andrew Booth or Kyer Elam at 31 overall, that that player is going to start over Eli Apple necessarily. They might not. We don't, we don't, I mean, that's not a sure thing. It's not like a sure thing where you could say, well, a first round pick at a position of need is definitely going to come in and start for you. Not the case. Same with defensive interior, assuming health, you know, BJ Hill is going to be your starter. Or even if they took an edge guy, I mean, a, a tackle, an offensive tackle or whatever, maybe a guard. Your, maybe your best shot would be if they took up guard at 31 overall, that would be that guy starting at left guard. That's your best shot of someone actually for sure starting games. The rest are probably going to be due to injury. So for that fact, um, I'm going to run with 17 or fewer and just go on down the line uh, and pass on 18 to 26 and, and boot 27 or more. Yeah, I, I ran with 18 to 26 just because – that opportunity is going to be there for the first corner they take to beat out Eli Apple. I don't think that's, it's crazy. Um, it, it's not going to be given to them, but it's it, it certainly, it's on the table. And then even if Eli Apple beats out that guy, what are the chances that your top three corners play every game of the year? You're, you're bound to see an injury somewhere. And then that, that first round pick or that sec, that, that first corner pick, let's say is going to, jump in there and at least get a handful of starts. And then, like you said, you know, some BJ Hill possibly goes down and you've got a defensive tackle that slides in as a starter or a rookie draft pick offensive lineman comes in and beats out Jackson Carmen and, and gets a decent number of starts. So I, I, I think it'll be higher. And just looking at recent history, I mean, going back to two, 2017, the, the fewest that they've had is 22. So I'm going to stick in that window. I'm going to run with 18 to 26. I'll pass on 17 or fewer, and I will boot 27 or more. If they get 27 or more starts from from rookie draft picks this year, this this season went south um, in in possibly a couple different ways. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. Uh, so that's a that's a long run passer boot for us to track, Jay. That's going to work. Make sure you put that one on the spreadsheet. Uh, yeah, I put, did. Put a star next to it because <laughs> I'm certainly not going to remember that uh, that we even did it by the time we get to uh, next January no. or Feb- February or well, whatever. Now that you say that, that, that throws in another variable. Maybe they're in the same position in week 18 again where they're resting all their regulars and they throw a bunch of rookies in there to start. Ah. And you, yeah. <laughs> they're going to screw me. I know it. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so good stuff here next week. Uh, we're going to be going mock draft style as we get prepared for draft weekend. And of course, you know, we love draft weekend. So we'll have all your coverage during draft weekend, every night, recapping everything that goes on and waiting on you in the morning. So looking forward to all that stuff. It's going to be fun. Uh, as always, and I know everybody is ready for it to happen and be done with. Uh, (laughs) and so we can start to analyze who they have added and start talking about the next stop, which will be training camp and the season starting. Uh, hard to believe we're already back 
at that part of the offseason. It feels like we haven't even started the offseason yet, uh, but here we go. So anyway, thanks, everybody. Really looking forward to chatting next week. And then, of course, a reminder again, uh, Tuesday night, May 3rd, the Tuesday after the draft, 7 o'clock at 50 West Brewing Company. Uh, we will be there along with Bengals Director of College Scouting, Mike Potts, breaking down everything about the Bengals draft. Come on down, listen to some Bengals draft talk, ask some questions to us, have a drink, enjoy a beautiful, what will definitely be a beautiful night. I'm calling it now. No snow, and uh, it'll be fantastic. We'll look forward to seeing all of you there. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time.